Welcome to the Gospel Addict Podcast. I'm Greg Bryan. And I'm Jim Reske. We're gospel addicts because we believe the gospel of Jesus isn't just good news, it's the best news ever. We're addicted to the gospel because it doesn't just start us out in the Christian life, it is the Christian life. Join us as we look at the Bible through the lens of the gospel. Thanks so much for listening. You are listening to the Gospel Addict Podcast. We call this the Gospel Addict Podcast because we believe the gospel or the good news of Jesus is the best news ever. And it's not just the ABCs of the Christian life. It's the A to Z of the Christian life. In other words, the gospel is the key to everything. On this episode, I'm joined with my good friend and co-host, Randy Nickel, and together we are going to interview Tom Petersburg. Tom gives leadership to Catapult Ministries, but has previously served as a staff member of Crew and Athletes in Action for 40 years. Eight years in campus ministry, 32 years as a chaplain to professional sports teams in Cleveland, Ohio. Although the majority of his career was focused on discipling athletes and equipping them to utilize their platform, his ministry extended to coaches, businessmen, and ministry leaders. Today, I'm hoping that uh, that together we can talk about the power of the gospel and how it how it changes lives and and also gospel driven discipleship. I'd like to ask Tom to share some tips to more effectively disciple others. And Randy and I will both ask Tom questions, but let me start by officially welcoming you to the show, Tom, and ask if there's anything else you'd like to add in terms of introduction, and maybe briefly share how the gospel has changed your life. Well, it's really changed my life, obviously, as I, I became a Christian uh, my senior year in high school. I grew up in a church <clears throat> where I heard the gospel uh, very often. I heard altar calls. I heard evangelists. And yet it was at a, a youth camp in South Dakota where I clearly heard from some college students whose lives have been changed by the gospel how well they know Jesus. And my experience was I was just supposed to be a good person. And I, I kind of rated my life as to how happy I was or <clears throat> how good my circumstances were. And, uh, and yet I had to admit that my joy really was dependent on, on my circumstances. And so that was a turning point for me in high school that I knew for the first time that as I gave my life to Christ, he came into my life. And I, I grew very slowly in those early years, uh, first couple of years. And then I I ended up being involved with uh, Campus Crusade at Iowa State University, and some of the other men around me, roommates, uh, guys with the ministry there, began to give some uh, time into my own life and growth, and and uh, things took off from there, and then began to sense that God called me to ministry. So, it's uh, uh, I was very fortunate to start at a younger younger time in my life. Well, and it's obvious that. God really got a hold of your life because you've dedicated the last 40 years of your life to serving him and which is exciting. Randy, you want to talk about your relationship with Tom and <clears throat> well, uh, I've known Tom for many years. I moved back to Cleveland. I was on staff with Young Life, moved back to Cleveland and got involved in this group of folks that were planting an evangelical free church on the west side of Cleveland and it was there that I met Tom for the first time. And um, I'll just say this, that Tom is someone I respect, but Tom is also someone uh, 
whose name you hear around Cleveland, he's just someone who has impacted many in their lives in Christ. And Tom, I've always appreciated your wisdom. And when I'm stuck on something, every once in a while, he'll get a call from me just saying, hey, am I thinking straight on this? Or um, So Tom, I, I appreciate you and your ministry and your family. And uh, I, yeah, it's just an honor to be on here with you. Well, thanks. It has been a, a fun run as we've been involved in church and various ministry things together. So, Tom, I was recently with you um, at a meeting and you were sharing some tips on discipling, which I thought were really, really interesting. Maybe we just kind of dive in there. Um, can you can you begin to share some of those some of those thoughts? Yes, we, we looked at a couple of things that, that I find um, I, I find myself working through in ministry in these later years in ministry and life. I, I find these are common issues as I work with disciplers. Um, for many years, I have discipled men, but more of my focus now is on those men who want to learn how to disciple and mentor others. Uh, one of the things that has stuck out for several years for me is this issue of our culture is so dependent and so respectful of experts. And I've even found that as an older person involved in discipleship, the younger guys that I've discipled or pulling, I'm pulling into discipleship kind of feel like they have to become an expert to disciple somebody else. And it is so far from the truth. I, I, I think that we need to grow and learn and being a discipler, but um, in the scriptures, you find even Paul uh, referred to his disciples within weeks after he came to Christ uh, in the book of Acts. And so I, I find that the younger guys that realize they need to be a learner rather than an expert are the guys that pick up discipleship quite quickly. Uh, we are merely passing on what, what we're learning currently, um, not just what we gathered in the early days of our walk with God, but it's fresh and it's current. And so I, I think that sometimes we've stifled people from moving into discipleship and they think they've got to be an expert. And rather, we just need to be a learner. I like that. And you talked about, you shared this illustration, which I thought was so cool, about how we learn. And uh, you, you talked about like riding a bike. Can you, can you share that? Yeah, this was a funny illustration that hit me just a year ago. I was, I was reading some things and came across an article on kids learning to ride bikes. And most of us grew up with trainer wheels on a bike, and they allowed us to tip about two inches either way. And um, you really didn't learn to ride a bike until dad took the trainer wheels off. So how they're teaching kids, according to this article today, to ride a bike is they don't put the trainer wheels on at all, but they lower the seat low enough so that the the child can keep both his feet on the ground. And as he sits on that seat and he uses his legs to, rather than pedal, he propels himself by kind of running along the ground. He learns to balance the bike. And then he begins to go, I bet I can go 10 feet without using my feet. And, and it's just this natural inclination to, to do better without my feet on the ground. And so before long, the child has learned how to balance the bike, raise the seat. Now he's using the pedals. And in many ways, discipleship is the same way. I think you can learn so much from good discipleship books, but you don't really learn it until you begin meeting with somebody. And then it has such an impact on your own life and what you're learning and what you're trying to figure out. 
and find answers to his questions that together you become learners. And, and I, I look back at my 40, 50 years of discipling men and some of my strongest guys that are still having a ministry today in their retirement years are guys that I discipled when I didn't know much. It wasn't that I knew what I was doing. It's that together we were learning what it meant to walk with Jesus. What, what is this relationship all about? And so to me, that's kind of exciting. And, and I think that young disciples need to experience that. Uh, you don't have to know it all. You can easily say, that's a great question. I'll, let's go see if we can find the answer. I love that. So basically, part of your message here is that if you are a disciple of Jesus, you are ready to disciple someone else. Yeah. Now, I still need those older believers around me to keep me on track. I mean, I, I, I don't want to become arrogant to think, well, I got it down now. I've known Jesus for a year and a half. And, and I start teaching them some, you know, things off the wall a bit. And so I think there's where the, the value of being in a church where there are other disciples where you say, hey, I'm meeting with uh, Joe. What, what do you think I should be covering with him? And, you know, Joe's struggling with these issues. Help me. What, what can we, where can we go in the scriptures to resolve some of this or help him get his feet on the ground? So I do think there's the great value of this camaraderie. And, and I think Randy would say the same thing, that we both walk through a lot of ministry that way, that we books are great help. Other people's uh, writings and sermons are great, but we really benefit from one another here. Uh, Tom, a book I know that's impacted our church and impacted us, I know that we've used it with some guys at church, is a book called The Way of the Alongsider by Bill Mowry. And... Um, what I love about that, really broken down, is that it's not complicated. We tend to make this thing so complicated. And really, this idea of that we come alongside somebody, uh, I think a big part of the job of a discipler is to encourage. That as we learn, we're encouraging those to come along with us. When Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. And so I love when you shared that. And when you shared that at the meeting that Greg and I were at with you, that was the first thing I thought of, is that it, this is really not as complicated as we make it. it it's, uh, if, if you know how to be a friend, if you know how to care for somebody, you can come alongside them and, and encourage them and walk with them in Christ. It really is way of life. I, I remember sitting in a Sunday school class at our church when we were quite small. And there were maybe 20 people in the class, and I said, um, I think we're studying Second Timothy on discipleship. And I, and I said to the, to the group, think back to who's had the impact on your life. And right away, everybody's talking. And they're, they're, they're listing a woman or a man that, that ran alongside him in high school or college or early professional years. And there's an older guy in the room. He's probably in his, I shouldn't say he's older. He's about 50 years old. He's in the room and he said, oh, no. And this look of surprise is on his face. And he goes, that guy was discipling me. <laughs> he just realized that this guy who was just living the Christian life with him was really intentionally discipling him. I love that. I love that. And I, I experienced that as a young believer, the guy who helped bring my older brother to Christ, KP, he not only came and discipled my brother, but he kind of discipled me. Um, even before I was a Christian, um, but, and, 
and I can remember when I joined the Navigators, I heard this Navigator guy speak, and I can't think of who it is. I can't give him the credit because I can't remember who it is. But he said to do three things, share your life, share God's word, and pray together. And as I look back at what KP did with me, that's kind of what he did. He he just, he, he shared his life. He shared God's word with me and he prayed, prayed, prayed with me. And uh, it was simple, but it was, it had a profound impact. He used to drive an hour and 15 minutes one way to come and spend an hour with me between classes when I was at Kent State University. And I just look back on that and I'm like amazed that he did that. But he he was investing in my life. And I to this day, he's one of my spiritual heroes. And I'm so grateful for the investment he made. And it also, what you're saying also reminds me of um, you know, the three important relationships a discipler should have. We should all have a Paul, somebody that we can go to, like you said, that can say, hey what should I do next? Or, or, you know, how can I help this person? A Paul and then a Timothy, you know, somebody that we're investing in, but then we need a Barnabas too, like so, an encourager, somebody who's can just kind of encourage us along the way. Those, those three relationships are important in, in a discipling relationship. Well, you, you also, if, unless you want to share anything more on this point, let's move, move on to the, the second thing you shared uh, related to the culture about yes. secondhand learners. Yes. I think that much of our uh, younger generations today are growing up in what I would call their, their secondhand learners. We have been incredibly blessed by books, sermons, blogs, access to anything out there with the internet. I mean, you can, you can pick up any sermon on any topic. You can go to websites dealing with any issue from a Christian perspective, found tremendous material. So we're incredibly blessed by that. But I think one of the things, and I've, I've heard other pastors verbalize the same thing, that too often we become reliant on what someone else has studied and, and sorted through. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> and so we become secondhand learners. We, we're, we're taking all this material and sometimes at the expense of our own discovery in the scriptures. Um, and again, I can't, I can't emphasize enough how valuable the resources we have are today. But too many people have missed out on the great joy of discovering the truths of the scriptures for themselves. And mm. so I find that in discipleship, a good share of my time is spent in helping people understand an Old Testament survey, a New Testament survey, I've seen Randy do this often with uh, young guys and teaching them how to have a devotional life. What does it mean to have time with God each day? And what do you do when you're in the scriptures? What are ways to approach the scriptures? And I just find that one of the greatest things we can do in discipleship is help them become a firsthand learner. I, I used the illustration with you men and, and women that one morning we were together that I've been to the, the Smoky Mountains, I've been to the Rocky Mountains many times for a couple of weeks at a time. And I could bring back a thousand pictures and within a half an hour, you'll be bored. And they're wonderful pictures. They, they give me great memories and, and I can picture these things and I can feel what it was like to be there. But you don't. You don't know what, what it sounds like for the wind to come through those mountain ranges or the late afternoon storms come up and how the atmospheric 
pressure changes and you can feel the storm and the, 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 the magnitude of the thunder and the little um, squirrels uh, running around in the brush, I can't capture that in the picture. And for me to, to work with a person who is just a secondhand learner, he's just working with my photographs. But the joy in his life when he realizes going to the scriptures, the magnitude that's there, the, the character of God, the emotion of God, the way the passages are written, he, he needs to be taught how to look for the things in the scriptures. And that makes him a firsthand learner. And it, and it propels his walk with God. That's excellent. You remind me of, you know, one of the things Jesus did. He was with the disciples, being with them being with them, experiencing life together, and, uh, you know, experiencing God's word with another person is a powerful thing to, to do it with them. And you made this comment about, uh, not that you're against devotionals, because I'm, you know, um, but that, you know, devotional can be encouraging, but it doesn't mature people the way firsthand learning does. Yeah. And so many people, we just, so many Christians, we just rely on devotionals. What other people say about God's word rather than going to it ourselves. And that, that is a, that is an excellent uh, reminder. I mean, for years in my early Christian life, that's what I did. I, I read devotionals and I would, I would read them for a, a week and then I'd get bored you know, like the best ones were like the first couple ones. And then all of a sudden I, I would lose interest. And so I'd go buy another devotional. Yeah. But when I was, when I turned 30 years old, I made a commitment. I decided, you know what, I'm just going to read God's word. And so I made a commitment to read through the Bible every year, uh, Lord willing for the rest of my life. And that has been so enriching. Um, and, and what I realized is you can't, you, you can never conquer the Bible. The Bible is so, uh, you know, it's it never gets old. Yeah. Every year I read, I'm reading the same passages, but they hit me in a different way, and so that so that's really good. Randy, you have any any anything you want to yeah. say? I, I just want us to be careful that people don't misunderstand. I think I, I think and Tom, I, if I can, I think your point is that that we're called to be learners ourselves and not just. Uh, eat what somebody else has regurgitated, someone else has digested and then given to us, but that we learn for ourselves. But when we say devotional, like I know our devotional life, it's not, to me, it's not just reading and studying the Bible, which are crucial, but the part about the devotional life is intimacy, is that are we communing with God? Are we spending time with him each day? That our goal isn't just for people to learn knowledge, but to learn that God wants to spend time with them. And so I, I think um, my friend Dane Alphen shared with me once that in a survey taken among Christians over decades of all the things that Christians do, of all the disciplines, things like fellowship and worship and, and prayer and Bible reading, all of those are important. They're all great. But said the one that seemed to have the greatest impact in seeing people's lives transformed were people that set up a time where they spent time reading God's word every day. That that seemed to be the thing that began to change people. Maybe it changes the way we think, but when we spend time with Christ, it, it begins to change us. So 
I, I totally agree with Tom's point. I just want us to be careful that when we say devotional, that um, some people think, well, no, our encouragement is that you do spend time with Jesus every day. However, uh, it, it's you spending time in, in God's word and learning and God speaking to you. Not And reading what someone else has read isn't a bad thing. It's just, it can't be your only thing, if that makes sense. Oh, absolutely. I, I think that um, maybe we should use the term devotional material. Um, you know, I, I, I need this quick quote on my mind as I go to class today or as I head into my work that might give me some encouragement and, and then they miss out on really being in the scriptures. I, I point out a guy in particular. I, I look back at Travis Hafner, a guy who played for the Indians for several years, finished his career with the Yankees, came to Christ as he left baseball, both he and his wife. And uh, when I met him, he was about a year, I met up with him again. He'd come back up to Cleveland for a summer. And, and um, he'd been a Christian about a year, and he was just finishing reading the Bible, the whole scriptures for himself. And I think, well, I, I can probably count on my hand how many times I've ever met a person like that. And here was a guy that um, he was not necessarily a guy that was drawn to books or reading or anything like that before, but he was captured by God's word. And I would say that uh, he's known Christ now for about nine years, and he's read the scriptures every year. And it's kind of his goal in life that anybody he meets with, he gets them on his reading plan. And they're in the scriptures together. Um, so I, th there's exciting things that happen when we get time with God in his word that, um, that can't be matched. That's great. Well, I think you had a couple other things that uh, tips you, you, you shared. Um, was the next one related to foundation? Yeah, a little bit. We talked or about lordship. Lordship. We talked about lordship. Second Timothy two two, which is a common verse in discipleship, uh, that Paul is uh, pushing Timothy a little bit. The things you've heard from me, Timothy, pass on to faithful men who will teach others. So you've got four generations there. And sometimes um, uh, what we need for the real meat of that is to go to the following verses, where he talks about the soldier, the athlete, and the farmer. And, and those words have to do with the, the, the nature of our commitment to God, especially the soldier, which is about lordship, that he is the one I report to. He's the one who calls the shots in my life. And I think that, um, that in, the, in different generations understand the scriptures differently or they grab on to what it means to, that Jesus is Lord. We live in such a consumerism uh, lifestyle today or um, a culture. And so I find that um, that, is a, that is a great topic to be aware of as I'm discipling men, that um, we need to keep coming back to this issue that not only do I have Christ, but he has me. I was transferred into his kingdom when I came to know Christ. I belong to him. And that changes the way I pray. That changes the way I serve. It changes my perspectives and how I view life. And um, so I just find that that's a real critical topic in discipleship uh, as we're around each other, just to keep our focus on this issue of God's in control. And therefore I submit wholeheartedly to his kingship. You, you talked about the letter of first Thessalonians and how you did a deep study of it. And some of the things you learned there, and even some of the commentaries you read, you felt like they, they, they missed the point. Yeah. Yes, I, I think that um, 
when you look at First Timothy, it's not a heavy doctrinal book. It's certainly not Romans or Ephesians or Colossians. And so I, I remember coming across one commentary that was kind of slighted the book of First Thessalonians and that it was kind of too early to expect much from Paul's writings. And yet, as you back up and look at the context, he's writing to a group of young believers. And he's, he's giving them what they need in their growth. And he talks two or three times, and he writes two or three times of, I can hardly wait to get back to you to complete what's lacking in your faith. And he challenges them with sanctification, of becoming uh, more holy in my lifestyle. Uh, he talks to them about loving each other. And he, he compliments them for how, how much their faith has grown and how much their church has grown. And yet, this is a book of. Um, great instruction for a pattern for discipleship and what is it that Paul taught and then you pick up so much of his love for them is his is just intensity he's he's grieving that he'd been kicked out of town and he he couldn't be with them and how are they holding up in the midst of persecution so it's heavy on relationship it's heavy on good content for young believers it's kind of an exciting book when you look at it from discipleship as opposed to just what do I learn about doctrine that's great. Yeah, because Paul was only there a couple of weeks, right? And he kind of got forced out of the out, out of that area. And so he was really desperate to want to help those young believers grow yes. in their faith. And I love first Thess 2 8, where he says, We were delighted not only to share the gospel with you, but our very lives as well. And that's another thing about you know uh, the power of discipleship is. It's not just a course you go through. Uh, it's it's not a program. It's a it's a real it's real life on life, you know, kind of kind of ministry. Um, well, and then your the last thing you talked about was framework. And what do you mean by framework? When I talk about framework, I'm speaking in the sense of. Uh, when, when I am involved in discipleship with a person, I, I begin with, and I think most ministries do, with the foundational issues, God's love and forgiveness, how to be sure that I'm a, well, how do I know that I'm a Christian? What do the scriptures speak to that? How to, how to walk by the spirit, uh, how to grow, how to spend time in the scriptures, understanding God's character. So those are, I would, I would call those foundational things. They have to do with my relationship with Jesus. Beyond that, we often will branch off into a variety of topics, many times real good needs that a person has or things they need to touch on, whether it's family or relationships or parenting or uh, my time in church, uh, whatever it might be. But, but so often, I think discipleship can, can move a little bit too far in one direction and that it becomes about my behavior. What are my activities? What am I doing which there are things that are helpful there, especially the disciplines, prayer, Bible study, fellowship, sharing my faith. Um, but those, are, I call those the activities of the Christian life, but God never said to walk by Bible study. He said, walk by faith. Um, he, he, um, he, he doesn't say we live under fellowship, we live, we live under grace. And so I, I've, I've just noticed in recent years that, that um, I wanted to be more careful that I'm not trying to turn a disciple into all the right behavior. Oh. I want him to be sensitive to God's spirit that he's convicted and becomes obedient. And so the means of living the Christian life are what I 
what I have in the back of my mind is I'm talking about activities because from his time in the scriptures, I want him to know God well enough he can trust him. I will only trust God to the extent I believe he's trustable or trustworthy. And so I want him to understand that he lives by grace. He's going to mess up. And here's how to deal with confession and forgiveness. And yet the great part is I stand, according to um, Romans 5, 1 and 2, I stand in grace. I don't get episodes of grace from God. I stand in his grace. I live in his grace. And so the more that he can grasp that, then the Christian life becomes one of this enjoyment of, of knowing and walking with God as opposed to being really careful I don't deviate anywhere and have everything right, which is a, which is a, a nice goal, but God will correct us. And, and so we live by faith, trusting when he does convict me, I'll obey him. And so I, I want the believer seeing the framework of the Christian life, which is faith, grace, obedience. And even in our discussion that morning together, one of the guys said, well, what about hope? What about faith? I said, yeah, that would be a similar aspects. Um, and so I, I think it's helpful for a believer as he grows to understand that, that God wants him to trust him, not just be careful. He never makes a mistake. Discipleship is inside out. Yes. It's not outside in, which a, a lot of times it's easier to go outside in to just, you know, you gotta, you gotta be reading your Bible every day. You gotta, all these, all these disciplines. And you can do those disciplines, but then inside, you're not really changing. Right. And that, that's why it's so important that, that, that we, we experience change from in, the inside out. And I think that's the power of the gospel in a believer's life. I'll tell you guys, this was a huge thing in my life and um, this whole concept. And I think when we think about coming to know Christ, when we begin our relationship with him, we all realize we, we can't earn that. Our salvation is not on what we have done, and it's what Christ has done for us. But I think there's a point for most of us, and I certainly was for me, where, okay, I didn't earn my salvation, but from this point on now, it's still all up to me, how, how hard I work, what I do. And I'm not saying as Christians that we don't, obedience isn't always easy, it's, it's, it can be hard work, but the reality is we don't just the gospel isn't just for the moment when we receive Christ for what our salvation and forgiveness for atonement, but it is for our daily living, that God's grace is always. And I just remember feeling like it. so much of my Christian life is about surrender. And um, yeah, that what does it mean to live by grace is this, um, my mom had this German work ethic that was, she could work all of us under the table, no question. And I just remember feeling like that was my Christian life that, and, but when I realized it's salvation is by grace, as is my Christian life is by grace. And it's a gift from him. And, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, do I listen and walk with the Holy Spirit every day? It, it was, uh, it was an eye-opening moment. It was not about me just loving God, but it was about me allowing God to, to love me. So, yeah, Randy, I think I, I think I totally agree with you. And that so often we've we've attached grace to salvation, not not to growth. Uh, we, we can only grow by growth. 
I forget who, I read this quote recently, I forget who said it, but the comment was made that grace is not opposed to effort. Grace is opposed to earning. And, mm. and, and I think that really resonates. I mean, awesome. I, probably, I probably won't grow much if I'm not in the scriptures. Yes. Is it Second Peter 3.18? Peter says, grow in grace. Yes. I like that. I like that whole idea, grow in grace. And I think that's, that's what being a gospel addict is all about. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Gospel Addict Podcast. Feel free to contact us via email at gospeladdictpodcast at gmail.com. Stay tuned for our next episode. And remember, on your worst days, you're never beyond the reach of God's grace. And on your best days, you're never beyond the need of God's grace. See you next time.